Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, the message is God has broken through. We're looking at a passage from the book of Acts that is really one of the most important passages concerning the inclusions of the Gentiles into the church. Uh, Lots of ramifications, not only for them, uh, but a uh, very relevant passage for us today as we navigate the various issues that we are facing in the world around us. So let's go ahead and have a talk at North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thank you for listening. have your bulletin today i'm i'm normally we read the passage together but this is a little bit more of a narrative passage and i've, I've chosen today to i'm using uh the message translation from eugene eugene peterson because i i like kind of the narrative quality of this today so our, our message today is going to be on acts 11 1 through 18 and um starting in verse 1 it says this The news traveled fast, and in no time the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it, heard that the non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of his old associates, concerned about circumcision, called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating with what is prohibited, eating what is prohibited, and ruining our good name? So Peter started from the beginning. I laid it out for them step by step. Recently, I was in the town of Joppa praying. I fell into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners came down out of heaven and settled on the ground in front of me. Milling around on the blanket were farm animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds, you name it. It was there. Fascinated, I took it all in. Then I heard a voice. Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. I said, oh, no, master, I've never so much as tasted that food food that wasn't kosher. The voice spoke again. If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the sky. Just then, three men showed up at the house where I was staying, sent from Caesarea to get me. And the spirit told me to go with them. No questions asked. So I went with them, I and six friends, to the man who had sent me. He told us how he had seen an angel Right in his own house, real as the next door neighbor saying, send to, the Jop- send to Joppa and get Simon, the one they call Peter. He'll tell you something that will save your life. In fact, you and everyone you care for. So I started in talking. Before I'd spoken half a dozen sentences, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he d- did on us the first time. I remembered Jesus' words, John baptizes with water and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believed in the Master Jesus Christ, how could I object to God? Hearing it all laid out like that, they quieted down. And then as it sank in, they started praising God. It's really happened. God has broken through to the other nations, opened them up to life. 
This is uh, probably one of the most important passages in the New Testament concerning the church. And yet, I think most of the time when we read this passage, we're like, oh, that was nice. You know, we, we, it, it's not, I, I mean, really, I can't remember. I mean, maybe I've been in a service where this was preached on, but I can't remember in all my years of being a Christian hearing a message on this. But yet, if you're a Gentile in here today, Gentile is anybody who's a non-Jew, um, <laughs> This is a good news passage for you um, because this is about how the, the, the walls that separated um, Jews and Gentiles were, were done away with and how we get to be included in what God is doing. And so I, I think when we come to this passage, a lot of times we don't see the scandalous nature of what's going on here. Understand, there have been church councils, especially in the first few hundred years of the church, to, to discuss all kinds of doctrines and figure things out, uh, like the Trinity or the Incarnation of Christ or which books get to go in the Bible. There have been all kinds of things. But this, the first church council actually happens due in part to this event where God is behaving badly. God is hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> if the power goes out, there's nowhere to go, so we'll just do this unplugged. Um, but one of the reasons I think that we, we don't realize the scandalous nature of this is because we here in America, particularly in the church, we are not outsiders. We're insiders. We live in a nation in which if you want to run for office, particularly president, you have to at least give lip service to the church. Whether you believe in it or not, you got to act like you're a Christian. Act like you believe with it. We are the insiders. We are the privileged. We are the ones who get to vote. You know, like we, we get to have a say in everything. We're not outsiders. I'm not, I don't know what it's like to be an outsider. So the problem with this passage is it's talking about Gentiles being outsiders, but we're Gentiles and we are the ones who are on the inside. You know, we don't know what it's like to be on the outside for the most part. The second thing is we don't understand the context. Here's the deal. If you were growing up a Jew in the first century, like the apostles, James, Peter, Paul, John, you, you would have grown up being taught that to get around Gentiles, to, to break bread with them, to hang out with them, would contaminate you. It, it would make you unclean. And so imagine growing up. I, I talk to people, uh, particularly sometimes who've grown up in, in the South, I mean, even in this area, who, who grew up with very racist parents. And they were, they were taught to hate other races from a, a childhood. And they grow up, and, they, and at some point they know that it's wrong, but there is this kind of instinctual thing for the way that they're formed that, that they have to really push against and, and, and be hard on because that's their default, because that's the way they were raised, even though they know it's wrong. Imagine growing up thinking that every other people group on planet Earth besides your group is unclean, and if you hang around with them, even eat dinner with them, you would get yourself contaminated, and you couldn't worship in the temple. That would be kind of an interesting thing. Not to mention, uh, the, the, probably the most menial job in, in, the, in the culture at that time was washing feet. And the Jews themselves wouldn't even wash people's feet. They would get their Gentile servants to wash the feet. Uh, it was like the lowest job that you could do in that society at that time, which when we see Jesus the night before he's betrayed, washing the feet of his disciples, you see what's going on there? Jesus is taking the lowest place, the place of a servant to, to do the most menial job. 
in their world. So it was scandalous as far as their religion was concerned. But, but the other thing that is tremendously scandalous that we don't realize is that God doesn't just start moving among a Gentile like a Spaniard or a Greek person or an Ethiopian. His first person that he demonstrates himself to in front of other Jewish Christians is a Roman. Not just any Roman, a Roman centurion. This means this guy worked for the Roman government and oversaw an army of, of, of a battalion of, of at least 100 people. So he's a, a Roman military guy. Now, to understand what's going on here, the Jews, the, Israel had been occupied for the Romans for a very long time at this point. And though Rome had let the Jewish people carry on with their religious practices, which they thought were kind of odd, they let them have their temple, they let them keep Sabbath, if you got out of line, what would Rome do to you? They would make you into a billboard. They called it crucifixion. They would hang you up on a cross and leave you there as a sign. Anybody else who tries to rebel against the government will get this coming to them. And keep in mind that it was the Romans who actually crucified Jesus, Roman military. So, like, the most scandalous person you could choose on planet Earth to, to uh, move upon from God's behalf would be a Roman soldier. And so, the question is going to come up in those disciples' minds, if God is loving our enemy, the ones who persecute us, the ones who killed Jesus... And we begin to love these people. How are we going to look to the rest of Jewish society? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, we could think of scenarios even in our modern day. What, 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 uh, if, if we started loving people that are enemies of our country and started embracing them, that might put you at odds with, with the American government or, or patriotism, right? And again, we don't know much about this, but that was, that was the, really the question for the early church. If God is moving on these people and we actually go with what God is doing, man, people are going to hate us. They're going to think that we're co- 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 cavorting, is that the word? Cavorting <laughs> with, with the very ones who are oppressing the Jewish people. So it wasn't just a matter of their religion had told them Gentiles were unclean. It's, it's, it's also... A very provocative thing that the Holy Spirit's doing. But it shouldn't surprise us. Because when we look at the ministry of Jesus, all throughout the gospel, Jesus gets in trouble. Why? Because he's hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. Jesus is breaking bread with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, like all the people you didn't hang out with if you were a wise religious teacher. Jesus is like picking like the the worst group of people to hang out with. Thank God, all right? (laughs) And so we should expect if Jesus was doing that, and Jesus is God, then it shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit starts hanging out with the wrong crowd as well. (laughs) Which, lesson number one in this If we follow Jesus, we are going to see the Holy Spirit move on people that maybe offend our sensibilities. God will challenge that in our hearts. We can expect that because that's what Jesus does. That's what we see the Holy Spirit doing. So we shouldn't be surprised. Another reason we shouldn't be surprised, I put a little uh, timeline in your 
um, outline this morning. In 30 AD, we have the original Pentecost, which, which Bible scholars call the, the birthday of the church. It's when the church actually starts. Jesus had told his disciples, it's good that I'm leaving you because now I'm going to send my spirit. And so you're not going to have an external relationship with God. Now you're going to have a, a relationship with God based on his spirit. But he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. And I'm going to send the spirit. And he's going to, he's going to remind you of everything that I've told you. He's going to be the comforter, the paraclete, all these different things. The advocate. Uh, just wait for him. So the disciples go to Jerusalem. They wait. And they wait. And then on the day of Pentecost, they hear the sound of a gale force wind blowing through. And they look around. And everybody's head looks like it's on fire. Now, Jesus, when, when he comes to get baptized by, the, uh, by John the Baptist in, in, in the early part of the Gospel of John, John says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see that happening on the day of Pentecost. And then this group of, of just regular old guys, most of them kind of would be rednecks living on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're country folks. You know, they're not learned men. They're in Jerusalem. They have a certain dialect. They begin spilling out into the streets where there's a large group of people gathered from all over the world, Jews who live in other countries and speak other languages, and they begin speaking the wonders of God in languages that they don't understand, but the people out on the streets understand. And so some people are like, are you guys drunk? (laughs) And Peter gets up to describe what's going on. And understand, Peter could have just said, well, this is what Jesus told us was going to happen. He could have explained it in any any way he wanted. But what Peter says is, is, this is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy from a little minor prophet in the Old Testament named Joel. Where God says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on your servants, your slaves, men and women, the people of the lowest rung of society, the people who don't get to vote in anything, I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. Do you realize the ramifications for this? Up to this point, Judaism, if you wanted to participate in it, it had mainly been a Jewish guys club. Jewish guys could could only be priests, they could only go into the temple if you were a Jewish guy. And now God's saying this thing's for everybody. Men, women, young, old, slaves, free. And, and yet, as scandalous as that message that, that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, you know how long it takes until this Cornelius thing happens? Ten years. <laughs> Ten years from the announcement that the Holy Spirit is no longer confined within an ethnic group. It's for everybody. What God is doing is breaking out for everybody. Ten years before the church begins to actually see this. And it would be almost another ten years before the church officially embraces it at the Council on Jerusalem. Where the church finally says, okay, we're cool with Gentiles coming in. And we're not going to make them follow all the Old Testament laws. Because frankly, we've not been very good at following it ourselves. (laughs) So, so you're looking at about 20 years from the day of Pentecost, the announcement that the Holy Spirit is for everybody, till the time where the church officially embraces what God is doing. And it all starts with 
this encounter between Peter and Cornelius, the Holy Spirit falling on, on Cornelius. Because the Holy Spirit, when he falls on Cornelius in his house, it's like a mini, mini Pentecost. The same thing that happened with the Jewish guys that followed Jesus, now it's happening on outsiders. Now, what can we learn from this passage? There, there's a lot of things. We have, if you've been to this church for a while, I, I pull out this uh, diagram probably once or twice a year, um, centered set versus bounded set. Do I have that there somewhere? Um, on a bounded set, if you use this bounded set diagram, and we'll apply this to religion, but, but if you're in a religious setting, like, like first century Ju- Judaism, let's think of it like that way. The boundary would be circumcision, Sabbath keeping, dietary laws, all these things that, that d- divided the Jewish people from everybody else. When I went to Israel a few years ago, I, I saw some uh, Orthodox Jews in the airport that were getting on the flight. And you could pick these people out of the crowd very easily. Like you're not going to mistake them from somebody else because they've got locks hanging down on the side. They've they got a hat on. They're, they're dressed in black. I mean, they're very easy, to, and they would be praying towards Jerusalem. Uh, that's the boundary markers of that religion. And first century Judaism had a very thick boundary. I mean, if you wanted to participate in it, it was, it was very hard to get through that boundary. They would, they would let a Gentile in, but it was, it was very hard. Now, under a bounded set understanding, if you look at Jesus and the Pharisees, they would both be right next to each other because Jesus was a guy, Pharisees were guys, Jesus was serious about the law, they were serious about the law. On all those ways, they're very close to each other. But I think a better way to understand Christianity that, that brings us into the life of God and the recognition of the Holy Spirit would be a centered set approach. And this approach, we put Jesus in the center and we've taken the boundary away. So now it's not a matter of you, you've got to get in our circle before we accept you. You've got to do these things to, to, to become a part of a group. Now the question is, are you moving towards Jesus in his ways? Or are you moving away from it? So under a bounded set, a Pharisee and Jesus might look very similar, but under a centered set, the Pharisee's moving away from Jesus. You see these little arrows? Some people are moving close to Jesus. Uh, imagine a Pharisee's right up there next to Jesus, but he's moving away. You look at the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, I believe, and this Samaritan woman is very, she would be outside the boundary if you used a bounded set diagram. She's a woman. She has a bastardized form of Judaism that she follows. She's living in a moral lifestyle. All these things that would keep her outside the bounds. But when Jesus talks with her, she begins moving towards Jesus. Under a centered set understanding of of religion, of, of Christianity, the Samaritan woman who is far away from Jesus but moving towards him is much better than the Pharisee who's close to Jesus who's moving away from him. You with me? So, in other words, it's not enough to just say, hey, man, 40 years ago I went to a Billy Graham crusade, I, I prayed the prayer, I'm in the club, I've been, I've been a, a tithing member of the church in good standing for decades now. Well, are you still moving towards Jesus? Because the boundary thing doesn't matter. I mean, think about your marriage, if you're married. You know, um, it's not just that I, you know, exchanged well, this, this, this ring, it used to fit a little easier. You know, this, this ring I got on our wedding day, <laughs> it's not just that we said vows to each other in front of our friends and we had somebody officiate it and we signed a marriage certificate. That's, that's part of marriage, and I mean, that, that is important. That is a symbol of the covenant. 
But the reality is, I know people, and you know people, maybe this would be you today. Maybe you've been married a long time, but your heart is not moving towards your spouse. And so, oftentimes we end up with a marriage that, that, that outwardly looks fine, but, but, but the hearts are moving away from each other. So the, the boundaries aren't the real issue, it's, it's the heart. And, and so the question, when we ask under a centered set, understanding is, where am I in relationship to Jesus? Am I moving towards Jesus and his purposes, or am I moving away? We can all ask that in here. But the second question, this is where it gets real interesting and, and, and applies to this passage today. People outside the church, now, now it's not a matter of trying to convince them to come in our boundary. It's a matter of asking people, you know, uh, identifying what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives and coming alongside that. I gave up trying to talk people into believing what I believe, you know. And it's made Christianity a lot funner. <laughs> I used to be, when I was in college, man, I was just, I was horrible. I love fighting with everybody about all kinds of things. And, and if you're a college professor in here, I, I, I ask your forgiveness on behalf of those like me. But the question now is, when Jesus defines the markers of the Christian faith, the only markers that actually matter, the only boundaries, if we want to have a boundary, what does Jesus say are the only markers that are important in the Christian faith? He says, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love. The way you love one another. It has nothing to do with how many times you go to church. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the little fish on the back of your car, or how much Christian radio you listen to. Like, none of that matters. It's how you love. And that's how you can ask yourself the question, where are you on this diagram? Are you moving towards Jesus or away from him? Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more loving? If you're not, then you're probably moving away from Jesus. Like, if your religion is making you more afraid of other people and and more hateful of outsiders... And, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're wanting to withdraw from it. You're probably not moving towards Jesus. You're, you're just, you got some form of religion. The same goes, though, for the Holy Spirit. If we want to learn to discern the work of the Holy Spirit, I, I grew up in a very charismatic expression of the church. And I, I was talking with Dean about this the other light, night. We were sharing a memory. I, th- this first church that I was a part of, back in the 90s, we were, the, the climate was, we were all praying for like this, you know, citywide revival where God would show up and all of a sudden people would be running into the doors just repenting. And we, we you know, it seemed like that was happening in a couple, of, you know, Pensacola and, and um, Toronto and these different places. So we, we wanted to be that place. But our church got like really crazy. I went out of town for a few days on a camping trip. I come back, and, and <laughs> like you had to take your shoes off before you walked in the church building. They took the art off the walls because they didn't want it to compete with God's glory. They, you know, the, the pastor's office became the Holy of Holies, and there was only a select. It was, it was like it got like really crazy, and I was a brand-new Christian, and these were the people that I looked up to. And I remember standing outside of this church building one night with Dina, and I was conflicted because these are my mentors. These are my people. And I told Dean, I said, I don't feel the love of God in this. And that is a big red flag for me. 
And I didn't really realize at the time how profound that statement was because it was a statement of discernment. You want to know what the Holy Spirit looks like? It looks like love. I had been around a group of people that said the Holy Spirit just looks like a crazy uncle. You know, it's, it's just always, it's just always, you know, the Holy Spirit's always doing crazy stuff. And I, I, don't, I don't discount that, I mean, you look at the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit does do crazy stuff sometimes. But even on the day of Pentecost, where, where people speak in tongues, it was to break down the barriers so God could impact people that could hear God in their own language. God was turning back the curse of Babel, so to speak, by his Holy Spirit. So it wasn't, it, it's not just being crazy just to be crazy. There was a purpose in God's craziness, right? If we don't discern the love of God in the way that we approach Scripture, in the way that we see the Holy Spirit then we're going to end up deceived. It's happened all throughout the church history. I, I read a, a story about a, a splinter Anabaptist group in the 1500s that invaded this German town. They thought Jesus was going to come back there, and then they were going to slaughter all their enemies after Jesus came back. It was just a lovely group. And uh, one, of their, one of their leaders gets killed right off the bat, and then the guy who takes his place is just like, hey, I, uh, God's telling me we all need to become polygamists. Every guy needs to have multiple wives. Now, what's crazy is the, the ruling council of elders in that community, the first thing they had to figure out was, how can we get scriptural justification for this? Let's go get the Bible out so we can find some scriptures that back up our position. And guess what? If you look in the scriptures, you can find plenty of scriptures that back up polygamy. From our heroes of faith, David, Solomon, Abraham. <laughs> so they got their scriptures, and people, you know... Uh, started having multiple spouses. Well, guys started having multiple wives. It didn't work the other way. I don't know. Polygos, you know, it's never wives get to have all the husbands they want. Um, (laughs) But here's the thing. This group of people that were very much into the scriptures and very much into the Holy Spirit, they ended up, nobody ever asked that question along the way, does this look like the love of Jesus? Nobody asked that question. And what ended up in this little, this little historical event in 1535 was that you had a bloodbath. The people of the town were slaughtered by the Lutherans and the Catholics. I mean, it was, it's, it's horrible. It's Christians doing all this stuff to other Christians. And, and it's just, I hate reading this stuff, but this is our history, folks. And this is what happens when we don't let love be the guide for how we discern both the Bible, the scriptures, and the moving of the Holy Spirit. I've been around lots of people who say they move in the Holy Spirit and and then there's no self-sacrificial love in their life. I've been around a lot of people who are champions for uh, biblical inerrancy and, and, and they've made an idol out of the Bible and they don't love people. So my, as a Christian, I don't try to talk anybody into following Jesus anymore. What I do try to do is pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in people's lives. So every week for me, I hang around all kinds of people. I probably hang around with more people that aren't in church than people that are. And I sit down and I have conversations with friends. And I got all kinds of friends of all kinds of different persuasions. And whenever I hear something that reminds me of the Holy Spirit, self-sacrificial love, compassion, you know, breaking through the boundaries. Whenever I, I notice that in our conversations, I tell my friends, you know, I know you may not believe in God, but that impulse that you have, the way that you talk about your wife, the way that you love your kids, that desire to see people in, in, in foreign countries who don't have clean water have clean water. Like, 
I'm going to go ahead and call that the Holy Spirit. You may not believe in the Holy Spirit. That's okay. I, I, I just want to affirm that I think that's a good thing. And I think if you follow that impulse right there, it's going to lead you to a good place. Because here's the deal. If we look at this passage here, when was that centurion experiencing the Holy Spirit? It wasn't just when Peter showed up. If you actually go back a couple of chapters in Acts, it says that Roman centurion was God-fearing and righteous. He was already moving with the measure of the Spirit in his life without even knowing who Jesus was. Peter just shows up and says, hey, look, this Jesus is the, is, is the epitome of, of what you've already been experiencing. And I think if the church, if we stop trying to fight over boundaries all the time... <laughs> If we stopped, I mean, honestly, I think that's why most people don't want to go to church. Because we fight over boundaries. Who, who can get in? Who, can, who, who will we accept in our group? Well, no. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? What's, your Holy Spirit do, what's the Holy Spirit doing in other people's lives? I hang around some people <laughs> each week. And, and sometimes it's, it's a discipline. They are good friends. But, but when it comes to some political discussions and things, like I find it's... it's like, I, I, it's hard for me certain times, that, you know, when it's a political season to hang around with certain people because it's just, I know, they're like going to be, you're the pastor, what do you think? And none of these people are in church. And I don't want to talk about all this stuff because I'm like, I don't know. So I just, I just keep my mouth shut. And there's things that I disagree with. But just because I disagree with somebody on a political thing or a, or a social idea or whatever, I, I, I'm... I'm the discipline for me is to, even with the people that I disagree with, or even with people that are my enemies, people that accuse me, people that do me wrong, how can I be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in them? How can I see that? How can I validate that? How can I bless that? How can I pray for that? And when I do that, when I get into that mode, instead of a bounded set fighting over who's in, who's out, guess what? I walk in humility. <laughs> I walk in love. I'm not just a jerk. And, you know, I really do believe I'm paying penance for the, the first decade of being a Christian and all the people that I drove away from Jesus. I, I really do. I think I, my track record for a, a young uh, fundamentalist evangelical was, was, was pretty dismal. You know, I, I drove a lot more people away from God than, than, than drew in. So the questions that I want us to, to, to think about today... Is how am I moving towards Jesus and his purpose? Ask yourself this. I'm not here to give you the answers today on what, what, who's in, who's out. But I can tell you, if you follow God, expect to be offended by who he moves in. Expect that. Don't expect that he's always going to bless the people that you like and you think ought to be in the club. How am I moving towards Jesus and his purposes? How is my life bearing this out by the fruit of the Spirit and by love? Here's a question. Who are the people that I don't think should be able to be a part of church? I'm saying this. You, you ask yourself that question. <laughs> Who does he not want to be here? No. <laughs> and how could I be more open to paying attention to the Spirit's work and the people that, that aren't in church. 
How can I pay attention to what God's doing with people that, that don't look like me or talk about or believe the same things? How can I just chill out and pay attention? Ask yourself that this week. Because the church is always going to come into issues where we're, we're fighting over who gets in, who gets out. I mean, in the 1800s, it was slavery. And guess what? The people who were pro-slavery, they had a lot more scriptures on their side. But when I look back on where the church finally landed, the church, you know, it was a weird time in the church. But it was Christians who actually were on the forefront of, of, of abolitionists. But it was also Christians who were on the forefront of wanting slavery. And they had the most scriptures to back up their position. But when we ask ourselves, what, what is love? What is God's love? What is God doing? Looking back at Pentecost, looking at Jesus, looking at the Holy Spirit. When we ask ourselves, judging by the fruit of the Spirit, what is God doing? I would say that the abolition of slavery was a good thing. And that was God's will. That was a moving of the Spirit of God. Because that's what he does. So let's ask ourselves today. Let's ask ourselves those questions. Let's wrestle with those. I'm not here to, and like I said, I'm not here to give you answers on those. I don't know. But ask yourself as an individual, what your friends, the, the, the people in your life, what the Spirit's doing, the people that, that, that uh, are outside of church, that are outside your, your, your social group, the people that, that, that maybe get on your nerves, how can we pay attention to that? Why don't you stand? Well, God, we just, we pray for, um, or we pray for the spirit of discernment. God, I pray for everybody in here, God, that you would help us to, to move with what your spirit is doing in our lives, God, and that we would have eyes open and ears open to discern you in all the relationships around us. And Lord, rather than fighting over our own beliefs or doctrine or, or how we think, uh, who we think should be in or out, God, that we, we wouldn't waste our time with that, but we'd waste our time trying to discern you and see what you're doing. And God, I pray where there's areas in our hearts where uh, we are moving away from you, God, that you would convict us, you'd draw us back to you. And Lord, that we would be a people, God, every one of us in here, Lord, that, that would bear the fruit of, of unconditional love in our lives, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you this.